0: Hello and welcome back. Come sit for a spell and join me round the cauldron, as I sit and have a chat with witchy influencers, authors, and regular people alike. Today, I'm sitting down to talk with Carrie ann of Hearth and Beesum to chat about Slavic American witchcraft and her multicultural practice. Once again, there was an issue with Zoom not liking my microphone, so there is some feedback and echo when I speak sometimes. It's not there all the time, and it doesn't impede the conversation, but if you struggle to hear what I say and still want to view the interview, please find the transcript in the description and the show notes. I promise the next episode will be better. All right, let's get into it. Right. So thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast here. Brown Cauldron Carrie. I'm so excited to talk to you. I know we've talked on Instagram. Um, several times before and I've been following you for a while. So thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: Thank you. Um, What's an honor for me to be here. I'm just a little account, but I'm really (laughs) excited to be here to talk with you today.
0: It's funny that you say that because I think my account is smaller than yours. (laughs) 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 But uh, whatever, the numbers are inconsequential. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know you, would you like to give a little bit of information about yourself, your background, who you are, that kind of thing?
1: Sure. So I go by Carrie Ann. Um, some people call me Hearth because my account is Hearth and Visum. Mm-hmm. Um I am a Slavic American, folk practitioner of magic, and I am really into ethnographic studies. I dabble in kitchen magic. I'm definitely not a contestant for the British Bake Off, but, uh, (laughs) uh, and most of what I've learned is come from my, would be my grandmother on my dad's side.
0: Okay, cool. Um, So, Let's talk a little bit about that, because you are a Slavic-American practitioner, right? Um, So where do those practices come from? And can you explain a little bit for people that don't know like what that entails, um, like uh, the area of the world that these practices come from?
1: Sure. So when you say Slavic, that really encompasses um, a whole... And there's this this whole big discussion as to whether it's Eastern or Central um, Europe. uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) People from those areas sometimes get very sensitive about whether you say they're Eastern or Central. But it's that Central to Eastern area of Europe that would encompass um, Yugoslavia, Poland, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Ukraine, uh russia uh and i did say poland right those areas in there so those are all your slavic languages and slavic people sometimes uh, uh, the the people in bavaria get thrown into that that mix too um i don't know enough about that type of uh, the folk witchcraft to say yes or no but it generally gets thrown in there as well the, the germanic uh, people as well so it's that area and um my family is from what would be uh in slovakia probably like south almost southeast um from an area where around uh, Nastjanovice uh, Petrovtia in that area of Slovakia
0: okay so it it sounds like the term slavic is like the term celtic celtic yes. is not just like one country or anything it covers a lot of different places and a lot of different peoples so slavic is um like because celtic is the language like right. the language family. So is the word Slavic similar?
1: Yes. So um I don't and a lot of people don't know this about me, but one of the things that I, I do for a career is I teach language. And when I teach language, I explain to people that there are pockets or umbrellas that cover certain languages, like uh um, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese. These are all what they call romance languages, and that like romance like you know, mm-hmm. uh, they come from the Roman. And then, so your Slavic languages are all have a, have a, the same base to them. So that's why uh, it's you listen to people who speak Ukrainian or speak Polish or speak Slavic, uh, uh, Slovak, or speak uh, Czech. It sounds similar to the ear because it all has that same base to it. And that's okay. why they, they group them all together.
0: Oh, okay. That makes total <laughs> sense to me. I hope that makes sense to everybody else because... Um, it it's something that seems to escape a lot of people. They think like, Celtic oh yeah, is just this one one area, but it's not based on a landmass. It's based on a language system, right? Um, so your practice comes from like um like your family, uh, like historically or more
1: recent. So- okay, so um my i live in the united states i live in in the uh, east coast of the united states and we're such a big huge melding pot that this is an experience that a lot of people outside of the country have a hard time understanding i mean my husband's from colombia he is 100 percent colombian like there is no mixing there i mean if you go back through his roots like way way back you know he has ancestors in spain and uh indigenous roots but for them, he's a Colombian. That's it. For mm-hmm. those of us that live in the States, we generally come from mixed families. So on my mom's side of the family, my mom uh, is a half Polish and a little bit of Irish. Um, and then my dad's family is 100% Slovak. So most of what I know are learned. I learned from my dad's mom, who uh, if you follow me, you'll see me refer to Baba. Mm-hmm. That means the grandmother in in Slovak. Um Many countries will say babushka, you know, um, and people think babushka, like what you put the head veiling you put on your head, but babushka is like a, it's like, like Grammy. It's like a a very endearing term to say grandmother. So most of what I've learned uh, comes from folk tradition from my, my dad's mom who would pull me on the side when, you know, I was alone with her and teach me things or, you know, like we would be cooking or doing something in the kitchen and, you know, she would do something or she'd say, don't do that. Or if I had nightmares, she'd tell me what to do and this type of thing. Um, But then again, on my, my mom's side of the family, um, it wasn't as much that I learned from them, but I did uh, learn things like, you know, to not remove the keys, the iron keys from the doors because the spirits this there's a specific spirit that we know now causes, um, sleep paralysis. But in those days, they thought this was a female spirit who came through the keyholes at night. And so they would keep their, um, their, their iron keys in the door to keep her from coming in. And one time I was little, I was playing and I removed them. And uh, I got, I got (laughs) in a lot of trouble. They were like, freaking out, like, no, 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 put those back and you leave those there. So this is where like the basis of what I learned came from. Um, but interestingly enough, like people say, well, what kind of a witch are you? Because there's so many different terms for witch in, in different languages. And I say, listen, I- I'll be honest with you. Like, I'll go by, but, I- it, you know, I wouldn't really put a label on it. If I ever called my baba a witch, she'd probably smack me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, it's funny that that happens because a lot of what we see Is similar to what we do like we see other people doing things like this, but we're the ones that put the label of witch on them Mm -hmm. because it's similar but like don't call them a witch because they definitely would not
1: like that. (laughs) absolutely and interestingly enough it was something that i was having a conversation with the with the latin practitioner um and she said to me oh yeah that's very similar in our culture where i said that um in many of the towns all the towns had your town witch who you would go to for healing you know um mostly for healing and you know for other spells and things Mm -hmm. but you didn't claim the title witch this was something that was like It was like being knighted. Like they gave you the title. Like once the town decided you were the town witch, then you could accept that title. You didn't walk around calling yourself that.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting how the words are different and like have different meanings around different places in the world. You mentioned that you are, that you live in the United States and you are practicing these cultural practices from outside the United States that you learned from your family. Um, In my personal experience, I am kind of doing something similar because my practice is heavily focused on, um, like, the Irish gods as a pagan, but also I am learning more about Irish folk practices.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: My family didn't come to the, didn't, what am I trying to say? My family came to the United States from Ireland more than, like, two or three hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. So... You know, going back several generations, my family has been in the United States. So I'm trying to learn and connect with those roots from like several generations removed. And I have to be really careful about claiming specific practices from Ireland as my own because I didn't grow up in the culture and I don't really have a claim to them unless like somebody teaches them to me. And also because Ireland isn't, um, you know, they're they're still a living culture and these things are still believed and practiced in Ireland. Today, they might look a little different, but they're dissimilar or in some cases, they're exactly the same. So how does that sort of work for you in terms of like um, cultural practices as an American um, from like another part of the world.
1: I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's definitely a question that comes up especially, you know, the world has become so small with, you know, having the connectivity through the internet and especially during the lockdown, you know, when everybody kind of took to online, um was when I made a lot of my friends from um overseas. Um and it was really helpful to me to help me expand the way that I thought about things because initially You know, when I took to Instagram, you know, I was kind of like, okay, well, which path am I going to follow? You know, I do have some distanced uh, Irish ancestry, but I really don't, you know, I really don't know a whole lot about that, you know, um, two generations removed from that. And um, so, you know, I said, well, I'm going to go with what I know. I'm going to go with what I do. I'm going to go with what Baba taught me. Um, And I went online and I put, you know, on my reels and things that I was a, a Slavic witch and uh, there was a lot of backlash about that from people who lived over there that you can't claim to be a Slavic witch and initially I was like you don't know how I grew up so how are you going to tell me you know I'm not somebody who um you know is just now discovering you know who my Slovak and Polish relatives and ancestries and practices were I mean I grew up in this um the area that I grew up in was a little town a mile by a mile long, and mm-hmm. it was all Slovak and Polish people who spoke the languages and carried on the traditions as if they were still over in Europe. So, what was interesting was that my dad, being a school teacher, we were always there. I mean, we were there on the weekends, we were there on hot, when hot, soon the holidays, we were there the whole time. We As soon as the summer hit, you know, my mother wasn't working, so we were there this is who I grew up with. And so, I mean, it wasn't until I was like in sixth or seventh grade that we really started to stay where we live now, which is, was three hours away from them. And, um, and the, initially I had this like feeling of, I was being removed from my culture, so to speak, uh, because I was used to hearing the language and the traditions and everything was done as if we were in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got, I would get offended when people would say, oh, you can't claim to be a Slavic witch. But then I really, the more I thought about it, the more I said, you know what, in in a way I can't claim to be a Slavic witch because I haven't lived in that country. So I have had the environment around me, which is, you know, I've been very blessed to have, but I didn't live over there. And I really, the more I thought about it, the more I said, yeah, no, I need to put down that I'm a Slavic American witch with this with this experience but at the same time i'm living in america um so it's like the difference between claiming citizenship and claiming ethnicity Mm -hmm. which is something that i think a lot of us here in the states have that is that's our experience you know we have the 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 ethnicity the lineage but we don't actually live in the country so we can't say what the experience is like living on Slovak land and you know with Slovak people and that type of thing. I can only I can only claim my ethnicity and and that's where you know that's how I you know have shaped my practice there.
0: yeah that that makes so much sense to me and it's really something that I've personally struggled with um, as far as um, emotionally feeling Mm -hmm. connected to a specific culture and land that I've never visited that I don't have any living relatives who would be able to tell me about their experiences while living there and it's it's funny to think about American culture because Mm -hmm. what the heck is American culture (laughs) and like so (laughs) it's my daughter and I we're watching a TV show and they were talking about Bollywood movies and she has, she had no idea what a Bollywood movie was. So we looked into Bollywood movies and then that got us talking about India and the Hindu faith and their practices. And, um, I said, wait, 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 let me show you this. So we looked at videos on YouTube of Holi, the festival of colors. Oh, yes. And in talking about the culture there, she even was like, well, what's our culture? What do we do? I said, you know what? That's the million dollar question because our culture is very Christianized. And when our family came to the United States, they had to assimilate. And for like me specifically, obviously you can't talk about anybody else. Um, being so far removed through all of that assimilation. It's like, I can pick up bits and pieces of things that I've been taught or things that I have seen that Mm -hmm. my family would have no idea that they are uh, like folkloric practices from Ireland that I've personally discovered that Mm -hmm. they have talked about. Um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, there was something about the willow tree and, um, if a willow tree on your property dies, that means that someone in your family is going to die. Right. And I remember being a kid. I love willow trees. I love the idea of like the, all of the, the leaves and stuff coming down and going into like, a hidden little place yeah. um, next to the trunk of the tree. I wanted to plant a willow tree at my Nana's house. And my Nana's like, um, no, we're not planting a willow tree because it's bad luck. And if the willow tree dies, somebody in your family is going to die. And, it was only recently with the internet that uh, I was able to put those pieces together that that's something that's been passed down, but mm-hmm. nobody really knows where it came from because right. it's just something that they believe and have believed this entire time. So it's that, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting, but it also makes me really sad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, along those lines, what's funny is that, you know, my mom has more Polish influence than Irish, and yet a lot of the expressions that she uses, um, I've, I really love ethnographic studies, which in like the study of the cultures of the peoples, Mm -hmm. you know, where did this come from kind of a thing. Yeah. And I've researched a lot of the expressions that my mom uses are very Irish. That's so funny. You know, like one of her favorites is, um, you know, like, when something is uh when somebody gets their comeuppance so to speak she'll say ah how do you like them apples yes oh my gosh that's a really Irish expression you know it? and it's I like, had no idea <laughs> yeah so yeah you know and and there are a lot of expressions like that that I've adopted you know just from growing up with her being my mom and and my sometimes my kids will be like mom where do you like what does that even mean? And I'll be like, well, you know. And they're like, no, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's, oh my gosh. I had no idea that that phrase was Irish because that's something yeah. that my like my whole family says. How do you like them apples?
1: Like, exactly. Uh-huh. And, and we use those expressions like, you know, like everybody should just understand what that means. But it's such a colloquialism.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Um. So what is... What is the difference, if you want to talk about it, um, from like what you practice versus like the native faith of the area that your practice comes from?
1: Oh, sure. So similar to the idea that, you know, you're a a Celtic pagan, um, the people in the Slavic countries over the last couple of centuries have really kind of been trying to bring back Um, the native faith, um, which predominantly is uh, Rodnaveri. And um, it has to do with the pantheon of Slavic gods, um, which I find really fascinating because I grew up with my dad being a history teacher. I was the nerdy kid that used to sneak into his office and read all his textbooks. So I, I mean, I had this fascination with pantheons of pagan gods from the time I was little. I learned about the romans the greeks and the egyptian gods mm-hmm. and then as i got older i was really interested and i started thinking like well you know w- well what about our people you know i'm sure that they had their pantheon of gods too and so this whole movement of ramdevari is the idea of bringing back the old faith because um you know they 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 were you know colonized by the christians and um you know they brought in you know so these areas are predominantly the predominant faith is, is Christianity. And, you know, it's pretty much an Orthodox Christianity where you see the, the, the cross with the three bars. Um, Mm -hmm. so you have your Byzantine Catholics and you have your Orthodox Catholics in those areas. But, but, um, recently over the last couple, you know, centuries, you've had this resurgence of the natural faith of Rodney which is bringing back the old pagan gods. Um, One of the one of the interesting things that gets brought up to me when people find out that I'm a Slavic witch is right away. There's this question of, uh, you know, are you a white supremacist? Are you a racist? Um, Because unfortunately, um, what we've seen with the with the resurgence of the of the native faith is that some of these groups are finding their way into uh, these circles of the native faith. And it's very important to distinguish the fact that one has nothing to do with the other. You know, it's just an unfortunate case of some of these people being attracted to it because of the fact that it it has these roots. It's like, uh, you know, I think the same questions come up when you talk to people who have, uh, you know, Nordic and Viking background as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I know that the, the heathen community really has to pay extra attention to the people that they let in their groups, but also to like the view of the wider population because it's very heavily tied to white supremacy. There's even um, like a specific church, the AFA, the True Folk mm-hmm. Assembly, that in their core tenants, um, it specifically states like by European, uh, by people of European descent or something like that. Uh, right. we, we mean white people. And that's like the only people that they let in their community. Right. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And yeah, I agree. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things that I have a lot of feelings about, but I'm not very good at putting words together for those kinds of things. So I can just yeah. use like my facial expressions and just
1: err, uh, like, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, it's 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 a fi- it's a fine line that you have to walk when when you talk about these things to 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 not offend people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if you look at um a lot of the Slavic countries over there, like there's this one artist that I particularly enjoy her music, but it, she came out in one of her videos and she had cornrows and I was like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> you know, I mean, hello, cultural appropriation. What are you doing? Yeah. And, you know, like she was just like, it's just a hairstyle and I like it. And I was just like, no, it's not just a hairstyle. Um, so there's still a lot of, I feel like it's almost like a lot of the understanding behind these things has not yet reached some people over in that part of the world, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but you know, there's, there's just, it's a, it's a process of education. You just have to keep Educating people and saying no, that's not okay. Do you know where that came from? Do you know why that's appropriating? You know, kind of a thing. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Hopefully, with the better access to the internet and better access to information, that that sort of education will continue because <laughs> there are lots of, there are many places in the world that still don't have that ease of access to information. True. So, yeah, yeah maybe true. in the future. But maybe at the end of my generation and in my daughter's generation or whatever, Mm. um, it'll be better. I mean, I could hope for now, but the cynical side of me knows that. That's probably not going to
1: happen. I have great hope for Gen Z.
0: <laughs> yes. Great hope for Gen Z. Great hope for Gen Alpha, even. Because, oh, I
1: know. I'm, oh I'm still learning all the letters that go with that alphabet. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: And, like, the only reason that I know anything about Gen Alpha is because my daughter's considered Gen Alpha. And okay. they've been nicknamed, like, the Honey Badgers because they give zero.
1: Oh, okay. Like,
0: they don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah so hope for the future and um, wish for the best for that I suppose cool. um, so what what does your wheel of the year look like so to speak because if I'm if I'm remembering right mm-hmm. you have your cultural practice um, your Slavic American practice but you are also learning more about your husband's culture right oh,
1: yeah that's. <laughs> we have a dish in the Slavic countries called goulash and most people have heard of it. It's basically a stew where, you know, traditionally they just throw whatever leftover meat you had in there and, you know, mm-hmm. vegetable things and mixed it up. And that's kind of how I refer to my practice. My practice really is kind of like a goulash. I mean, <laughs> That's so funny. I love <laughs> because, making goulash. <laughs> look, I mean like, yeah, now I'm going to be, it's raining here. So that would be the perfect dish for today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how can I put this? It's very interesting. I've always tried to keep a balance in the house being that my husband is like actually from Columbia. Like he was born there. His family is all over there. Most of them are over there. We go back and forth between here and Colombia. you know, at least once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like he's like, you know, two or three generations removed. And so if we don't include his traditions, he's okay. I mean, he is living, breathing 100%. Like, I think he bleeds the colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always try to maintain a balance because um, one of the things I really love about uh, his culture is that they are such a folk culture um and very artisan in in their uh jewelry and uh the the way they dress and they act and all of that and there's so much tradition over there so colombia for those people that might not know about their history um they have the indigenous population um and they have uh they had the slave movement over there so they have black population and then they had the you know the conquistadors from spain come in and that's why they speak spanish so you have Mm -hmm. this mix You you have people who, uh, you know, look like Sofia Vergara and uh, you know Hamas Rodriguez and uh, John Leguizamo who look like you know like me or you with more of the um, the Spaniard uh, influence. And then Mm -hmm. you have people who look like my husband, uh, you know, who who has a very very see my husband in in photos or reels. He's uh, he tends more towards the indigenous side, and yet. Um, I posted a picture years ago on my Facebook uh, from Christmas time of me with my mother-in-law and people thought she was my mom, you know, (laughs) but you have this, or if you, but if you see his dad, like pictures of his dad, you'd be like, his dad looks black. Mm -hmm. Well, he was, you know, so you have this like beautiful mixing of these three, you know, different streams of people coming together um, to form all different kinds of folk traditions over there. Now, um, I know that there are other Latin practitioners that would um, agree with me. We've had these conversations. There's a saying in a lot of these countries, because Catholicism came in and is very much the predominant uh, religion in these Mm -hmm. countries, that the, how does it go? I have to think how to say this in English. Uh, The biggest, uh, the the most faithful Catholics on Sunday are the biggest witches during the week.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I've heard something similar.
1: Yeah. In most everybody's household, you know, there's a back room where, you know, you've got, you know, herbs burning and glasses of water and cinnamon sticks in a jar and, and orange peels and, you know, uh, lentils and green apples and things and all kinds of workings going on in that back room. Mm-hmm. You know, but but we, but on Sundays, we're all in church, you know, kind of a thing. So, um, so a lot of the, the way that I work with my practice is to include things that my sister-in-laws um, and my mother-in-law have taught me. Um, and it's kind of, it's very much an oral tradition over mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, if you go online and you search for books on Colombian magic, I'm reading, I'm actually reading, I'm listening to one on Audible right now that has come out recently called The Black Book of, of Witchcraft for, of Colombia. And I had heard a lot of buzz about it, but I I, I hadn't, you know, I didn't know the content. So I start listening to it and I'm like, this is not a book about spells. Colombia, and if you go back in my reels, you'll see last year, I was there for a month. I went, I had some surgery, some necessary surgery done, and I stayed with my sister-in-law. So I was in Colombia for Samhain, and it was horrible. It was horrible because Colombia still has this, like, fear of witches. Mm -hmm. If you say the word bruja or brujo or hechicera over there, they're like... Um, I mean, I think I posted something around that time that somebody thought that they had seen a witch running across the rooftops and that was like a lynching. It was scary. the oh people gosh. were like going after this person with like flammables and things like this and knives and stuff trying to catch the witch because, you know, they were afraid of what this person was going to do. And so, you know, people were like, oh, you know, well, I was over there. Well, did you go, you know, did you go get together with any of the witches? Did you, you know, go to the stores and stuff like that? And I'm like, there are no esoteric stores here. There's like some spiritual stores, but it's like that mix of like very washed down. You're not quite sure what it is. It's got chakras and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's
0: like a touristy real- part of.
1: Yeah if you really want to find un brujo, bruja, you have to really like know somebody who knows somebody. And then you kind of go like through these back alleys and into, you know, these places and they have a tendency to move around a lot because if the workings that they do for you, don't pan out the way that you want them to, or people will come back like for their money. And so they like move around so you can't find them. So you gotta have to know somebody to know somebody. And the other thing is too, it's like, you don't want to you're not gonna take out, you know, like a a a public notice, like come here for, you know, the workings because yeah. people are scared, you know. And um, you know, like I, I originally when I went over it last year, I was like, oh well, you know, it's gonna be so and I'll go online and I'll see if I can connect with other witches that are over there. It would be really kind of cool to talk to each other. And then I thought, no, I can't bring that kind of attention to the house. Right. I don't know what would happen if they found out that there was, una roja, you know, staying there, you know, you have to be really, really careful about that. It's like there's this, I called it like a, there's a respect and a fear for witches over there,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: but what I, I have learned, I've learned from you know, like, so I've learned, you know, like, so I was talking to my sister in law when I was first married. My husband and I had a little challenge, you know, he had a little bit of a straying eye kind of a thing. And I mentioned it casually to my sister in law in conversation like this. It's always been an issue with him. And she was like, Oh, come here, Miha. Huh? I'm going to show you what to do, you know. And so she <laughs> taught me a few things to do. You know, um, some people would call them amarves, which are like bindings, love bindings, Um, Mm -hmm. but they were more things like just to keep his eye on the path kind of a thing. And so what I did was I used what she taught me and I combined it with what I knew. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I do workings that have to do with our relationship or with him, like I want to do something to help him, he's been really stressed out or worried and I want to help him relax a little bit. I tend to use herbs or ingredients that they've taught me about that come from his country because I find that that sympathetic type of magic that, you know, is is a stronger bind for him.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a closer connection. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. So if I'm going to do a sweetening spell on on him if I were <laughs> I'm not using honey and I'm not using white sugar, I'm using panela from Colombia. If yeah. I were but like, you were you know, hypothetical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just as an example.
1: <laughs> yeah, just you know, if somebody were to do one.
0: <laughs> so with the with the combining of the two practices, um, what do your holidays look like? Like your your celebrations? Cause in my house, I'm the only pagan. Everybody else doesn't really care. My fiance is agnostic at best, he's just kind of like, Man, I can't see it. So like, if but- it's there, you know, whatever, if it's not there, it doesn't matter. He's not a very strict atheist. Mm-hmm. And we've had conversations before, usually when we're moving, or when we're driving really long distances, we end up like having really deep conversations in the car. <laughs> it's, it's just a thing. I don't know why. Um, but we've had conversations where we talk about the differences in belief and he's asked me like really interesting questions. And he has been like, I think if I were to believe something, I'd probably be some kind of pagan, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't see it. So I can't believe in it. And my parents are kind of Christian. I call them because they don't go to church. Um, They don't have any sort of Christian practice, but they, they believe in God and heaven and hell and that kind of thing. But it's um, so where was I going with that? So my house is very um, like traditional American when it comes to holidays. Mm-hmm. We celebrate the commercialized version of a lot of the holidays, like Christmas and Halloween and Easter. And I'm over here trying to celebrate by myself <laughs> like right, right? the, the different uh, celebrations in my practice. So what does that look like for you in your household with the two different cultural practices?
1: Right. Well, there again we have that fine balance your family is Christian by default right yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> um you know and that sense to be the the you know the the pretty much the feeling in, in this country is if you're if you're not really decided you're kind of Christian by default so to mm-hmm. speak and celebrate the the commercialized versions yeah um, you know I do recognize um like, I guess would be like a Slavic wheel of the year. And in Slovakia, you know, I think a lot of what we see online nowadays when you talk about Slavic witchcraft is either Polish or Ukrainian, because that's, you know, those are the people that, you know, have had the loudest voices for, you know, whatever reasons, you know, different reasons. You know, the 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 invasion in Ukraine, you know, or just, you know, what people know here about, you know, about Slavic is like Perugi, you know, kind of a thing. So um, but there are, you know, those of us that are, you know, that come from other the Slavic countries that like, you know, like like my family. And, um, you know, we, we recognize um, we recognize the holidays, you know, like the commercialized holidays, the Christian by default type of holidays. But there is this like. And I love this, that like they haven't let go of their roots, you know, so in Slovakia. They celebrate basically the spring and the the fall kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's what's interesting is that they celebrate like the fall harvest festivals at the end of August. And you know, I mean, being removed from Slovakia, a lot of times I'm like right around that time we've got a lot going on, you know, people are back to school and things, you know, and and I and I have kids like the the youngest of Mm -hmm. mine is in university but you know i mean these were always busy times and it would be like oh yeah oh shoot i missed the harvest festival Mm. you know so and especially with you know um uh, you guys have the celtic has uh mabon mabon how do you say Uh,
0: um mabon it's it's a word that comes from welsh i believe it's a, Mm -hmm. a welsh god i'm not sure i i just call it the autumn equinox
1: right (laughs) and i have um and i've used that i love to use uh, have a cutting board a beautiful cutting board that has the the different sabbaths and equinoxes and all on it on it and i and i use it even though it has the celtic terms on it because for me i use it more like an altar piece i've consecrated it for the purpose of workings and so that's why it's it generally stays on my altar and i use it Mm -hmm. but you know i know in my heart like um you know i know that uh, the polish people celebrate uh chinki so, right around this time, which is the fall harvest festival, um, and um, the Slavic people would call it which is like a. It, it centers or our people were were farmers, mm-hmm. and so it centers a lot around the weeds, you know, the last harvests and bringing in the harvests and things of that nature. And so, what I'll do, being here, is you know, well. I mean, I live in New Jersey. There's if I want wheat fields, I have to really kind of go down south. So it's not really part of my life at this moment. But what is part of my life? Well, what do we harvest here that we have a lot of? We have grapes, we have apples, you know, um, things of that nature. And so when those times, those of the year come around, you know, I will do things with my family that feel. Uh, like I'm honoring those traditions. Like every year, we go we would go apple picking from the time that the kids were little, you mm-hmm. know, our pumpkins, and we would bake and we would can. Um, plums are very big in our culture, and so um, there's a, a real that I put last year uh, of making uh, uh, canning plums in a spice plums for th- for the for the winter time to have. Um, those types of things. And so, so I've kind of taken, and that's where the whole American part comes into the Slavic American practice is taken the practices of my tradition of my lineage that were taught to be meant by my grandmother predominantly because my father wanted to really be American. So, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, funny now as he's getting older he's starting to talk about some of these things that his that his mom did and i'm thinking to myself yeah i already know that i'm just like (laughs) oh that's interesting dad tell me more about it you know like
0: i've already been taught this
1: yeah but i i can't let him know because you know it was this whole you know um you know well let me put it this way so It's interesting working a lot in the Hispanic community. You have the generation that comes from the country that's all about, they speak the the language, they have their culture, they listen to the music. And then you have the next generation who's kind of like in between and they're kind of fighting. Like they still understand the language and all, but they don't want to listen to their parents' music and they fight against tradition. And then you have the third generation who wants to be completely American. And that's where you get these people that you know, for all intents and purposes, look Hispanic, but say, I don't understand Spanish, or I don't speak it, you have Mm -hmm. the same kind of thing in every culture. And so my dad was that generation where like, he understood Slovak, and he would speak it to me, the music and the traditions, but he kind of fought against it. But now as he's getting older, he's starting to understand the importance of it. Whereas I've always had that feeling like because I had that tie with my grandmothers. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to practice this, you know? And so like in the springtime, um, I know a lot about the pantheon of gods too, even though I'm kind of somewhere in between my faith growing up as an Orthodox, you know, Eastern Catholic, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but at the same time having this interest. So like on my altar, I have the blessed Virgin Mary, but I also have Mokush, which was, would be the pagan version of the blessed. She is the goddess, who Mary replaced, so to speak. Okay. So I honor them both on my altar.
0: I'm sorry. My daughter's calling me and she's supposed oh. to be at a theme park. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry for interrupting your no, train not at of all. thought.
1: I understand. I, um, understand. I think we were talking about, you know, the wheel of the year and the holidays. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, because Colombia was such a Christian country, um, you know, they celebrate... I recognize those holidays Mm -hmm. for him but they do have some extra traditions that we don't have over here like for them, the beginning of December, they have uh Los ferralitos Feralito, which is uh I did a reel on it last year. I tried to like do reels so that mm-hmm. people can see like different things that we do, um, which is like this whole beautiful tradition of the lighting of the candles. But it's a very Christianized holiday, the idea that you're lighting the path for the baby Jesus and the family to find their way into your home for December. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a reel on it last year. But what I do is I'll take I'll take his tradition and I'll I'll do like, I'll burn some herbs that are traditional for them, you know, for cleansing and things of that nature. So I bring in those witchy elements to what he's doing as well to kind of like help him tie back to his indigenous roots as well.
0: That's really cool. I like how you blend those together because I, that's something that I struggle with here, like in my house, because like, what am I doing? I'm Mm -hmm. here. I am. It's like, lunata or even today for the equinox as we're recording this um i'm gonna go clean my oven and i'm gonna bake some bread and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. make like three or four loaves because a lot of what my practice is about is community and Mm. it's like you you have this and you share it with others and like the people in my house are like okay cool we'll have extra bread with dinner i'm like but it's a little like, it's more than that.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it's hard, you know, it's really hard. And and with my husband, it's kind of been a very gentle education because, you know, coming from this mindset that witchcraft and witches are evil. Anytime I would do anything that would look remotely witchy. I mean, there was this one time that I did a sweetening jar that I had actually put in a bottom drawer of a cabinet and his t-shirt was wrapped around it and mm. I don't whatever reason he decided he was going to look in that drawer for rubber bands which I think is a total crock of, <laughs> but <laughs> he found this and I I swear to god you've never seen you know a latino man go whiter in your whole life and he was losing his mind you know why is my picture in this jar what is this liquid why is my t-shirt around it and mm. I'm always relax relax what are you doing what I don't like this in this house and I was like okay I just let him as I say to my kids my girl sometimes you got to let him kick the wall for a while and then when he's done then you're like okay can we talk now yeah you know when have I ever done anything that is that is, has done brought harm to this home You know, the big thing with him is like, I've got him into this, this evening ritual of having a cup of tea and I make the tea. So, I mean, like talk about a trusting relationship. He has no idea what I put in his tea. And one time I wanted to see, I wanted to, I was like, you know, I was I I only use mugwort in my practice like I burn it like I I have a lot of sensitivities to herbs and things so I never Mm -hmm. really drank it and I was like I wonder if this really does have the hallucinogenic effects that people say so I made him a cup of mugwort tea to say and the next morning was funny he's like I had the weirdest dreams last night they were so wild and I was like okay so I made a note in my grimoire you know like okay so you know now I'm gonna try it myself right so I've had it and you know like it really helps with like spirit flight and things like that Mm where I'll use it Reading and stuff for clarity, but you know, I kind of like so. <laughs> I'm in the backyard and I'm I'm gathering my own mugwort and and you know he's calling it my marijuana, right? And I'm like, <laughs> you really don't believe me that it does this, right? And he's like, yeah. And I go, you have had it before, and he was like, what? <laughs> I'm like did you cup of tea. remember that day that you told me you had these really crazy dreams and everything he's like so you're experimenting on me i go yes sometimes you're my husband it's in the ring anything that i want to get away with i tell him it's in the fine print inside of his rig <laughs> i mean <laughs> iron stomach this guy's got a constitution so i'm like let me try it out on him and see
0: how. oh my gosh yeah that's that's trust for sure <laughs>
1: But, you know, what? a lot of it's very interesting because the more we think we're different, the more we're the same. Like at the end of the year in Colombia, they have the burning of what they call el año viejo, which is the old year. So they make effigies. That look like, you know, effigies of a, of a person or an old man and they put mm-hmm. them in the street where they put them, if they make them small, they'll put them on like a barbecue and they and they and they burn them. The idea being you're releasing all of the old the last year's memories and energies and things like that so that you can then cleanse the house and welcome in the new year. Mm-hmm. Well, the Slavic people have the drowning of Marsana in the springtime. So Marsana in is in Polish, uh in Slovak she would be uh Morena. Um, which is one of the goddesses that I've come to know and and venerate. And she's the goddess of the winter who was in all of their tradition um, betrayed by her sister, who is the goddess of the spring, Vesna, um, into becoming the goddess of the winter. She's also what would be closest to what the witches consider Hecate.
0: Mm hmm
1: um, and so a lot of people are afraid to work with her because they think that, you know, she's like this cold and mean, you know, she's usually depicted as like an old hag type of a, of a witch. And so in a lot of in Slavic tradition, they will. Take an effigy, make an effigy of her at the turning at the spring equinox, and they will drag the tradition. You drag it through the town, and you don't look back on her so that you don't have bad luck. But you drag it through the puddles and the mud and everything, and you bring it to a bridge. You light it on fire and throw her over and drown her to get rid of the winter energies. Oh so gosh. you have the burning of the old year in Colombia in December. You have a similar tradition with the Slovak people, you know, and so we'll do like you know, you have to be really careful. I like, can't make a big gigantic effigy, but we'll we'll do something small and we'll burn it out in the wintertime. And my husband, even though he has this very Christian by default energy about him, will say to me, you know, you have to make the you know, he'll call her, your viejo, but we can burn it. And he's like, I still don't understand why we do it in the spring. But you know, he he'll do it with me. So there's like this fine line, or, you know, for example, we live in a two family house. And unfortunately, about two years ago, um, gentleman downstairs passed, and we were very close with the family. Um, when he got home, he knew that he had passed, I, I had the windows open. And on my ancestor altar, I had put this gentleman's name, because I didn't have his picture. And I was burning herbs. And so he came in and said to me, Oh, you're doing salmeria for the gentleman downstairs. And I said, yes, and he was perfectly okay with it.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. So with your your ancestor altar, it's funny, because I have that written down here to um, talk about, like, what does your ancestral practice look like?
1: So I really feel that the the most important thing about having ancestral practice. So in Slavic, let me just back up a little bit. In the Slavic practice, we have duality: our ancestors and our land spirits. It's very tied to nature. It's very similar to the Celts in that in that sense that you know we believe in land spirits and mm-hmm. we believe in um, the importance of ancestry. And so it's important for me also being American to know that I live on Lena uh, Lenape lands. And to when we moved here to understand and respect and ask the spirits of those that had come before if it was okay if I practice on this land. And I did that for quite a while before I actually even set up my altar and everything to make sure that the spirit's that were here before are, were okay with my practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's my own ancestors, but also I bring into that my husband's ancestors. So on my ancestor altar, which you've seen in multiple postings and all on Instagram, you'll see a mix of peoples on there and also include some, you know, family, friends, and members who were like family to us who have passed on as well. Um, and so there is that, um, you know, there is that inclusion and that, uh, you know, um, I don't want to call it petitioning, but it's also like it's kind of like a petitioning, like if I'm doing a working in particular that has to do with my husband or his health or, you know, his his mental attitude or, you know, a job coming through for him that, uh, you know, I will include his father or his oldest brother who have both passed over the veil and ask them to you know, to to intercede for me or to work with me or to mm-hmm. help me with this particular working. And the same thing with my family members, or, you know, if it's for um one of my kids, you know, unfortunately each of them has lost friends. Um and so I will include them and 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 you know be like, um, you know, this is so and so's mom, you know, I'm doing this for them. And can you can you please come down and, and you know intercede or help me with this but a big part of my ancestral practice and it's honoring or venerating not worshiping you know Mm -hmm. it's like respecting i believe that there are two parts of it you can't just try to build a relationship with them once they've passed um if you've known them here on earth Um, it's also very important to build that relationship while they're here and so um, my kids visit their grandparents on a regular basis my son while he's up at school far away He's also serving um, in in the military. He he never misses to call his grandparents for their birthdays, for their anniversaries and things of so that. There's that understanding and that respect. Uh, about a year ago, uh, no, two years ago now, we went on a, a little like a, a trip with him in October, my parents and my son and I. Mm-hmm. And um, I posted pictures of my son taking care of my mom and, and wheeling her around in the chair. I mean, like we would go place to place and he would jump out and he would put together her chair and he would help her in. And never once did he complain. And, you know, it's this idea that, you know, you honor your ancestors by building those relationships now. And then afterwards, you know, you, you visit the cemeteries, you maintain their, their site, you know, their tombs and things, and you make offerings and things like that. And you have these conversations. So it's just this full circle of including them in in the practice and honoring them through the traditions that have come down through the lineage as well.
0: I love that so much because I think that's really important too because you can't like you said it's it's not respectful to approach an ancestor altar and ask someone who has passed over the veil for help if you don't have a relationship with them. And yeah. like it's the same I I have the same approach with the gods and with any other spirit that I may interact with or potentially interact with. Uh Um, And it's like, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't go to my friends and constantly ask for things and constantly ask for help if I'm never Uh giving anything in return, whether that be my time, my energy, um, whatever help or anything like that. So I think that's really important. And I really like the way that you explained it. Um, Thank you those relationships with people while they're living we tend to forget that our our ancestors are also the people that are still here Mm -hmm. you know like my grandparents um one set of my grandparents is still here and they are still technically my ancestors they still came before me just because they're alive doesn't mean that they're not my ancestors um and I try to do the same thing like um keeping those relationships going and calling them and talking to them on the phone cuz they're like 2300 miles away from me. They live on the other side of the country. Okay. So it's like oh, just those those relationships is really important to keep if you're going to have some sort of ancestor practice. Um for anybody that works with ancestors, I always like to ask this question too because mm-hmm. um it's like it affects me personally. This this mm-hmm. topic um, is how do you approach ancestors uh, that you wouldn't necessarily like want in your life, if that makes sense? Because I have some family that we did keep a relationship while they were living, but mm-hmm. it was basically like because I had to. But right. they weren't the best people. And Mm -hmm. so I find that a lot of people get hung up on this, like, well, if I have an ancestor altar, any of my ancestors can come, but I don't want these specific people here because like they were, they weren't nice in life or Mm -hmm. um, they didn't agree with the way that I lived or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you had any experience with that? Do you like, how do you approach something like that?
1: I think that's a great that that's a great thing to talk about because I think sometimes uh, what happens is that we tend to forget that these were people, and um, you see it a lot in people who practice. You know, cultural are very folk in their practices that they tend to romanticize their ancestors. And you have to remember that they were people just like me and you, uh, you know, they had their moods, they they had their idiosyncrasies, they had their beliefs, whether they were good beliefs or bad beliefs, whether they were inclusive, or they were racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't romanticize people. Um What I and and I have those people in my life, too, that, you know, like I went to visit them out of obligation, but I wasn't particularly fond of them or, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't crazy about the way that they thought. Um, you know just like now there's a lot of education you know with some of our parents you know some of our parents grew up in you know my parents are in in their 80s you know so my parents saw you know civil rights times and things of that and sometimes things that they'll say are downright like mom you can't say that that's that's not appropriate you know and then I have to like almost educate my parents as to why Mm -hmm. you know wrong, you know, like, or, you know, why would you say something like that? Well, I mean, you think about it, who were these people that came before them, even, you know, and, and it's always very important to understand the environment in which they grew up, the times in which they grew up, and what gave them the mindset that they had. So uh, there are people that, you know, I choose not to include or there are some people that I think like okay well I'll leave the door open to see if they're willing to come in and to have a discussion and to be educated even after passing mm-hmm. um, but I think that it's kind of like it's if you think of it I always think of my relationships with those that have passed as in the similar way of those that are living if there's somebody that I really don't care for I just don't invite them I don't I don't you know like I'm not going to be like Hey, I do really don't like you, but would you like to come to my house for dinner? Right. Yeah. Oh, like... Know, like I'll be, I'll be formal with you. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, like sometimes, you know, especially if you channel or, you know, you, you communicate with those that have passed, sometimes you can't help which ancestors come through, but you can always be very respectful and say, listen, until you're willing to have a conversation about this, that, or the other thing, and, you know, talk about, you know, changing that attitude. I, c- I can't have you in my house. Yeah. And it's definitely
0: not somebody that you would want to invite to help you in whatever you're doing. Because I can think of a few people who would try to like get in the way of what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, like there's some discussion, you know, between people who, who, who work with those that have passed on about whether or not they retain their personality after, you know, they've passed on. And I've seen, you know, attitudes come through with some of my ancestors. And I have to say, you know, this is where it stops. This is the line. This is what I'll tolerate. And this is what I won't tolerate kind of a thing. Um, When I do workings, one of the things that I do, and I now my oldest daughter is, is following. And so I'm teaching her a lot of these things, you know, because she was like, well, my second daughter used to read and she was really good at it. Her intuition is just so spot on. And then she got really scared one night because I think she didn't protect herself properly. And some things came through that really scared her. So she stopped. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm working with my oldest daughter, you know, she's like, well, how do you prevent that? And I said that um, just in the same way that, you know, you have to set your boundaries, you know, here with people on this plane, you have to do the same thing with people outside of the plane, you know. And so when I'm working in a space like that where I'm really very vulnerable, I not only put down my own protections, but. When I call in the people that I, the spirits and the people that I want to work with, I have those that I, I call my spiritual bouncers. And so it's almost like, like a casting a circle where I ask those people in first to stand guard at the four corners for me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and only allow in these certain people. And I've, and in the time that I've been doing this, I've never had an issue since I started doing that. And that's the way I work with with ancestors as well. Now, the other question that I'd like to bring out um, is you know, to hear what you think about it, too, Mm -hmm. is that some people that will say, um, well, I was orphaned, but I know that and I was adopted by this family, but I know that I have this Slavic ancestry. And so how do I work with my ancestors if I just have that? I'm starting from from zero, you know, and I always say that you may not know your ancestors, but they know you. Right. They know they know they know you and they've been with you since mm-hmm. the time you were born. And so I find that doing a lot of research and a lot of um, trance work and meditation and it's gonna take time, but you open the doors to um, to them coming through in that respect, and you've set your boundaries just sure you would if you knew them. but you know you you have to do more meditation and more trans work to then say, "I'm ready to connect. I know you've been here this whole time watching me taking care of me, but now I'm ready to connect with you."
0: Yeah, exactly. And like so my my grandmother, um, mm-hmm. who has since passed, she had binders and boxes full of genealogical information wow. she taught my mom how to do it and my mom has some of my grandma's stuff um, mm-hmm. but a lot of stuff is online and so I think like that would be that would be dependent on the person that is trying to connect with their ancestors whether or not they could do genealogical work right um But I think, too, what what some people don't realize, and this is just my perspective, is that your ancestors don't necessarily need to be the people that you're connected to by blood because Mm. your family is your family. And that can be the family that has adopted you. That can be your chosen family. It could be like I crochet right? So like I'm a fiber artist. So I also consider that in like my bubble of ancestors, because as I am making a piece and like, I am working with the um, knowledge that was passed down to me by my grandmother, who she is working from the knowledge that was passed down to her by whoever taught her and so on and so forth. And like all of those people had a hand in me learning how to do it. Yes. And so even if I'm not connected to those people by blood, like they are still a common ancestral link. Yes. Um, And then when connecting back to uh, like a a culture that you don't really have any information on, like it's exactly like you said, it's going to take more work. And you're, you're going to have to do the meditation and the trance work and even just learning about the culture and the history can help connect more or help you connect more with those ancestors, because it's kind of like lifting a, like lifting a veil between you and them, because once you know more things can start to make more sense, your meditations might become more clear because you will understand the different symbols and situations that you might find yourself in during meditation or trance. <clears throat> so it's it's really like this entire process, I guess, of it's, it's going to be harder for someone that is adopted or orphaned or doesn't know their family, but it's definitely possible. Like it's not something that you can't do. It's just going to yeah. take more work.
1: Yeah yeah it's um and and I love the you know the whole um the way you put it about lifting the veil between the two of you because when I started working with uh my my husband's uh, father and his oldest brother um what was interesting was that there was like this this immediate acceptance from his dad um I've had visions and communications excuse me <coughs> Spirit communications in my life since i was in my teens mm-hmm. um it's not something that i can control i say it's kind of like tuning a radio some days that station comes in great and sometimes you can't find it for your life mm-hmm. um, but his dad came to me before we went over to Columbia, um, and so there was this immediate connection but what was interesting was that he was really really close to his oldest brother even though my husband was the baby he looked up to him, he admired him and everything. And he was, he was killed. He was, his life was cut short when he was in his, his thirties. It was horrible. Um, yeah, it was a really tragic story. And the the most tragic part of it was that they found him on my husband's birthday. So for years, my husband refused to celebrate his birthday. Yeah, it was really sad. Um, and so I always wanted to connect with his oldest brother because I figured, you know, like he could help me get through to my husband on a lot of things, you know. And it would be like dialing the dialing the, the spiritual phone and nothing and mm-hmm. nothing and nothing. And um, every time we go to Columbia, I would say to him, "We need to go. To, we need to go to the cemetery." And my husband's very accepting in the in the sense that, like, a lot of times he doesn't understand why I ask for things, but he'll go like, "Okay, we'll do," you know, because it's important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, now the cemetery where they're laid is a good 35 minute ride outside of the city. And, um, it's, it's a difficult situation, like to get a ride out there and everything. So it's a commitment, you know, Mm -hmm. and I posted a real showing part of the cemetery when I was over there about traditions over there. Honestly, that's the biggest cemetery. Imagine the biggest cemetery you can imagine and then multiply that by like three, three to five times. It's huge. It's huge. You can literally they have little, literally have like buses taking people around in oh the Yeah, that's how big it is. Um, and when you get there, you have to go into the office. Then you, if you, you have to give them your name, and then they'll look the person up. They'll give you a number, and they give you a map with directions on how to find. You know, so there was all of this physical like it, barriers between you know this relationship, and then and then there was this spiritual, but. I was very determined that I was going to try to get through to his brother, you know, in one way or another. And I was going to give it a number of years. And then if it didn't work, I would just work with his father. But the last time that I went, I brought, there are, let's see, one, two, three, there were five of them. So I brought the third of of them to the cemetery that the third person and my, my other sister-in-law and, um, she hadn't been she hadn't been in over 20 years and but i convinced her that it was important that she go and everything well she was the key when we got to her brother's um to her brother's burial plot um you know i always close my eyes and i go into meditation and i and i let them know that i'm there and ask if there's any messages that they have and um It was interesting having her there kind of opened the door. And the messages that I was hearing was like that he was confused about who I was to the family. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And with her being there and that kind of like started to clear things up. And it was like he understood then who I was. And then I started getting messages that he thought that he'd been forgotten. Mm -hmm. And just reassuring him that you haven't been forgotten, that, you know, you're on my ancestor altar, that I want to work with you, that, you know, this is the situation and who I was in relationship to his brother and everything. And then it was like a portal opened and the messages just started like flowing in. And it's interesting that I really believe the personality transcends the veil because... Just the way that the family had described him, like, very accelerated personality. Like, as soon as he figured out who I was and he was open to working with me, like, the questions started flooding in. (laughs) Everything from, like, how's he doing to what did they do with my record collection? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was a huge salsa salsa fanatic and like Mm -hmm. he had from what I understood he had this pristine collection of records and so like when that question came through I just burst out laughing and I turned to my sister-in-law explained to her what was going on she kind of knew this about me and said you know, he had the nerve to ask me what happened to his record collection. Well, when I said that to her, she burst out laughing. And it was like the confirmation that she needed to know that I wasn't I was real, you know, like, she was yeah. like, oh, my God, that's definitely him, you know. And now what's interesting is that he doesn't come through all the time, but I can feel his presence a lot more. And it's given me somebody more to work with. So it's like, a lot of times you think like, you know, I really want to work with this person, but you have to build that relationship the way that you would build it here and and for me the key was that one sister
0: yeah that's so funny because like (laughs) and I think I think you saw my story on Instagram about uh watching the show New Amsterdam Mm, and the the psychiatrist came across somebody that was uh working at the hospital and um who was claiming to be a psychic and he was helping people connect with other people that they have lost and helping them move through their grief. And the psychiatrist was like, that's absolutely impossible. Like you have some form of epilepsy. And it made me so mad. It it made me so mad because that's like, that's something that gets dismissed about witches and spiritual people a lot is like, Oh, they're just, there must be something wrong with you. And that's, there's no way that's true. And I'm just, It just frustrates me so much. (laughs) I'm really glad that the experience that you had with um, your sister-in-law wasn't like that. And she was like, Oh, like, okay. Like I get it. Especially after the record thing.
1: That's what's such a really cool thing about, about the Colombian culture is like I said, you know, there's the, the, you know, the biggest Catholics on Sunday are, you know, the biggest switches during the Mm -hmm. week is that they all have that like going on. And so Um was and I really tried so much like to post a lot on the stories and things um and I included it in the YouTube video that I did on the evil eye um mm-hmm. their tradition of doing a banyo to get rid of the evil eye um and I said to her um that I want to bring back the herbs to be able to do you know um banyo be- before new year's with your with your brother and and she was just like oh yeah mija, come with me you know and she took me to the market and introduced me to uh, a lady there that this was her job all I mean piles and piles of herbs you know and it said oh baños you know clean cleansings mm-hmm. and she was like what what you know like she asked me what what do you want to do and I told her what the purpose was and she was like uh-huh and I said to her listen I have to get through customs so they have to be dried uh you know like and so she was like okay so and she took me and, and I said to her now do me a favor and uh, write out the names in Spanish and I'll figure out what they are in English you know so that when I do you know this so that I know what I'm using here you know and so you know I had the names in English and what was interesting was that it's just a very um some of them were like local names for things and so I, as much for as much as I searched I was like what the heck is this yeah. I couldn't figure it out until I called my sister-in-law and then she started this kind of like ah that's mug work okay mm-hmm. I know what that is. you know um but like he was really excited when I came back and I was like all right I got it I know how to do it this is what we're gonna do and everything like that because he'd been feeling like jobs weren't coming through for him and he was like there's definitely something going on and I was like all right well he went out the day and I did what my baba had taught me with the matches and I was like okay yeah something's going on here it confirmed it in my tradition and so then we did the cleansing for him you know in his tradition but I also did some of the things that my people would do with clay and things like that yeah
0: that's so cool that everything just sort of like comes full circle and gets connected like that. And that you had access to that while you were there um, with your sister-in-law getting the different herbs and stuff to help you with the, the cleansing for your husband. That's so awesome.
1: Like, yeah.
0: I want to experience something like that myself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I, 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 it's so funny because uh, i really good friends with Bex from the Witches cookery and she mm-hmm. talked to about to go to Columbia and my husband and his family was like, okay, whenever you want to come, you stay with us. And I'm like, yeah, when you're ready. So, oh you know, so the offer's there. If you want to go, we'll go.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so awesome. Um, There's, there's one last thing that I wanted to ask you really quick before we kind of start wrapping everything up. Um, one of the things that I talk a lot about um, on the podcast and on YouTube and even on Instagram is mental health mm. and it's like I'm an open book when it comes to things like that and the way that my mental health has impacted my practice um, I I have seen one post by you so far on Instagram um, that that I have seen personally I don't know if you've done any other ones where you talked a little bit about mental health, and how it has impacted your practice. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, Like your personal experiences, and maybe if you have any, any tips or advice for other people that might be going through the same thing?
1: Well, I'm far from the expert, but, um, you know, uh, I was born in 67. So this is the generation I come from where, you know, mental health was still not really talked about. Mm -hmm. And from crazy was, you know, negative label but on anybody that's struggled with mental health or we're living with mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really kind of hard to, when I started to really like, I'm not just having a blue day, this has been going on for a while and I'm feeling like I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to take a shower. I, you know, like what is going on with me and realizing that this has been going on with me since I was in my twenties. Um, And then finally, you know, going and getting the help and, you know, getting a diagnosis of having PTSD um, from some abuse that happened in my past, uh, which then led to depression and, you know, cases of anxiety. I've even seen and I, you know, working with counselors, uh, but a little bit of OCD, you know, Mm -hmm. like. I'll check my purse three and four times to make sure I have my keys. And I know I, and and I'll be saying, you know, you put the keys in there. You saw yourself put the keys in there. So why do you need to check, Mm -hmm. you know, or I'm already, I'm the last one leaving the house and I run back in and make sure that this is, and this is something my dad does too to make sure that the knobs are all straight, you know, so that there's no gas leakage in the house. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. nobody cooked. Nobody was in the kitchen. You know, it's fine. And yet, and like, part of me is like, yeah, we should just check. Yeah, you know, I think. um, so, um, one, the, I think the post that you're referring to is the one where I, I openly talk about the fact that I'm such a sensitive person. And I think that this ties into the gifts that I have that when you're sensitive on the spiritual side, a lot of times you tend to be sensitive on the physical side as well. Um, and so I can't take medication, I've tried and I've had really extreme side effects from it. Like the side effects are worse than, than, you know, struggling with the illness. Yeah. Um, I found that working a lot with natural medications helps me more. Um, but there are, you know, like it, it only goes so far. And then a lot of it, I have to, um, find just ways to coping mechanisms to help Mm -hmm. me with it. Um, has it affected my practice? Yes, absolutely. I'm of the philosophy that your energies that you approach your altar with are very important in your workings. Um, when you're doing something and you want a positive outcome, you, you can't be doing it in the whole time thinking, when am I doing this? This is not going to work because that's mm-hmm. the energy that you're putting out. So I will never do a working when I'm feeling sick physically sick or I'm struggling uh, mentally um, or, you know, like if I'm in the bad mood um, because that's not the energy that I want to put out. And so um, what I say to other practitioners that struggle is that, you know, like it's okay. It's okay if you have two or three months where your, your altar collects dust and you're just not doing anything because you're not in the right mind frame to do anything, but also, um, you know, go out and look for the help that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is no shame in, in taking medication as a practitioner, you know, um, I always like to think that, you know, it's like a wheel on a car, like your wheel needs to be balanced for the car to run right. Otherwise it's going to pull to one side or the other, or the mm-hmm. wheel's going to wobble right off and come off the car, which could be even worse, you know? And, um, and I think of your mental health this way as well that I feel that I perform better as a practitioner when I'm centered and I'm balanced. And if that means that I need to take medication to do that, then that's what I do.
0: That's so that's such good advice because like, I'm like you, I have gone back and forth for so many different medications where like, yeah, it works. But also then I have this other thing that is just as bad and doesn't make me feel any better about the whole situation. So it's like, balances it out and it's almost like it doesn't do anything because the side effects are just as bad. Um, And even now, like I was recently diagnosed with ADHD instead of, or along with depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and like the medications are okay, but I don't know. It's like, are they worth it? sometimes like for me personally mm. for anybody else that they work for obviously take your medication yeah. it's one of those things that like you said people tend to shy away from and there's a stigma and there are even people out there who say that if you are a witch on medication your your magic or your power isn't as good as it could be and I'm like I disagree I think it's a that
1: it's helping you center it's helping you regain your balance
0: exactly like it's not our fault that we were born different or we have experienced things in life that have physically changed the ways that our brains function like right that's not our fault so yeah I'm I'm not one of those people that's like you can't take medication (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, not at all. I, I think the important thing to remember with mental health is that some of it is biological and some of it is psychological. Mm-hmm. You know, my PTSD is definitely psychological. My depression is biological. Yeah, you know. Exactly. And so if you need to take medication to, to write those things or as a coping mechanism to help you, what you're doing is you're you're bringing yourself back to 100%. And mm-hmm. why would you want to be 100%? And I think in that sense... a a witch who has these who's who are who is living with these mental health conditions, taking your medication or taking your herbs, or whatever you need to do is making yourself that 100% that you need to be again, which makes your magic even stronger. Exactly. Exactly. So
0: thank you again, for being here and having this conversation with me. We've been we've been talking for a while and it's been such a great conversation. Thank you.
1: I I love to learn from you too. So this has been great. Oh,
0: thank you. That, that really helps my imposter syndrome, (laughs) (laughs) which I think we could have like a whole other conversation about that. Maybe sometime in the future. Oh, Um,
1: definitely. Yes, absolutely.
0: So for anyone that doesn't know where to find you, can you tell people where to find you online?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm per- predominantly on Instagram, which I've just really taken to that platform at Hearth and Besom. Mm-hmm. Um I'm also on threads uh, when I remember okay. that it's there. <laughs> uh, same thing with Facebook. Uh, I've uploaded one YouTube video. Mm-hmm. I promise I'm working on it. I've got a little bit of things going on there. And um, so that's basically where you can find me.
0: Okay. Awesome. And I will leave your links for everything in the description for those watching on YouTube and um, in the show notes for anybody that's listening to the podcast. Um, and yeah, thanks again for being here and I hope you have a great rest of your day. And it was so wonderful getting to finally talk with you.
1: Uh, likewise. Thanks, Megan.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between myself and Carrie-Anne. I know I learned a lot about Slavic, American, and Colombian practices and beliefs. Be sure to follow Carrie Ann on Instagram at Besum for more content from her. Follow the podcast on social media and subscribe to the newsletter. Become a member at roundthecauldron.com to get exclusive content, free downloads, and more. All of the links will be in the description and in the show notes. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I will be back next month with a brand new special guest.